Amen. Thanks, Nick. Good morning, Grace Hill. How's everyone? Good. Good to see all of you. Uh, my name's Alan, one of the pastors here. If this is your first time here, I just want to welcome you. would love to be able to meet you after the service. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to jump into God's Word together. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 16. Um, I know that your bulletin says James 4. Well, Acts is a post-printing addition to the sermon. So Acts 16 will be our main text this morning. We will read from James 4 um, a little bit later as well. But if you want to use your Bible app, uh, you can do that. And the verses will also be on the screen behind me. Um, But I wanted to begin our time together this morning with a little uh, exercise, all right? So need some participation. Uh, Raise your hand, okay, if you can remember the names of your parents. All right, one generation back, one generation back. Okay, keep your hand raised if you can remember the names of your grandparents, two generations back, all right, your grandparents. All right, keep your hand raised if you can remember the names of your great-grandparents. All right, sorry, mom and dad, I can't remember ours. All right, three generations back. All right, I have to see a few hands. All right, four generations back, great-great-grandparents. Oh, okay, we got one, all right, I think. Five generations back? Six? Okay, well, you're, you're an anomaly. Yeah, seriously. Is that Kathy? I can't, the lights, I can't even see. All right, that's Kathy. For most of us in the room, right, if we just go back four or five generations, we cannot remember the names of even the people in our own family, the people that we came from. In our minds, they are forgotten. At least their names are forgotten. And the truth is, in about four generations, probably less, we will be forgotten. Our names at least will be. Uh, The writer of Ecclesiastes wrestled with this. Look at what he says, uh, chapter one, verse four. He says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. Uh, Verse 11, he says, we don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. Uh, Chapter two, verse 16, he says, for the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. And you say, well, Alan, this is a mighty encouraging sermon so far. What's your point? Here's my point. Time is the most relentless thing we have to interact with in our lives. It never stops. It doesn't slow down. It doesn't speed up. It doesn't wait for you to catch your breath. It doesn't stop to remember the past. It just keeps ticking and the world moves on, right? If you ever watched old Saved by the Bell episodes, kind of have to be my generation, so if you grew up walking, watching that, there would be those moments where Zach would say, what, time out, and all of time would stop and he would have a chance to provide some narration or think about a situation and figure out what he was gonna do. And then time in, time would start. And don't you wish you could do that? You know, like when your kid is freaking out on you, you can just time out, just everything freeze. Let me just get my cool. Or if you're in the middle of a difficult conversation or a stressful project at work, you just wish you could stop time so you could catch up and then restart. 
Time is relentless. It can be stressful. And no matter how we feel, it keeps going. And we keep getting older. And because time during this life is both relentless, it doesn't stop, and it is limited, we are going to run out. That means that it is the most valuable, non-renewable commodity that we have. And because it's so valuable, how we utilize our time, how we invest in this commodity says a whole lot about what we value most in life. It is often said, show me your budget and show me your calendar and I'll be able to know what is most precious to you. And I think that's true. This morning, uh, we're gonna continue in our King Jesus sermon series and we're in the third chapter of the sermon series And what we're doing in this is we're asking the question, what does it look like for Jesus to be king over my entire life? What does it look like to submit my entire life to him? And so starting today for the next six Sundays, we're gonna tackle different topics every single week. And so this morning, we are going to study what it looks like to submit our time and our plans to the rule and the reign of Jesus as our king. Now, there are two sermons out of this entire King Jesus sermon series that are going to serve as a a critical preface to this morning's sermon and the rest of these uh, six topics that we're going to tackle. Uh, One of these sermons explains why we should submit our entire lives to Jesus as our king, and the other one of these sermons explains how we should submit our lives to Jesus as king. Uh, The the sermon that explains why we should do this is uh, last week's sermon, part 14. So if you missed that, go go to our website, go to our podcast and listen to part 14 of this sermon series because we learned that there is more joy available to us when we submit our lives to Christ rather than submitting our lives to ourselves, centering our lives on ourselves. We were created in the image of God. Uh, That's our purpose. We image God. We represent him. That's how we were designed, and therefore that is where our joy is found. And the essence of sin is we reject that purpose and say, God, I don't want to live for you. I want to live for myself. And the irony is when we live for Christ, There's joy. When we live for ourselves, there is restlessness. And so we submit our lives to Jesus because he's the true king. He deserves all glory and honor. And he is where we truly find joy in life. And that's what we talked about in part 14. So make sure you listen to that. The sermon that explains how we should submit our lives to Jesus was part 10. It was a sermon entitled, The Way of the King. And if you miss that, be sure to go online, or if you need a refresher, listen to part 10. So part 10 and part 14. But in this sermon, part 10, we studied what Jesus taught us about the way of God's kingdom, what life is like in the kingdom of God, what life is going to be like in heaven, and how as citizens of God's kingdom, we are called to live in that way here and now during this life. And we learned in that sermon that in God's kingdom, 
We follow Jesus by laying down our desires and our rights in love of God and others, right? That's the way of of God's kingdom. We, just like Jesus, lay down our desires and our rights for God and for others. And so, spoiler alert, this is what we're gonna talk about for the next six weeks. What does it look like to lay down our rights and our desires in when it comes to all these topics that we're gonna hit? So this morning, when it comes to our time and plans, what we're gonna talk about is how do we lay down our rights and desires when it comes to our time and our plans in love of God or others? Next week, we're gonna talk about our work and our vocation. The week after that, family. The week after that, our reputation. Well, we're gonna talk about our sexuality. What does it look like to lay down our rights and desires in love of God and others? It's the way of God's kingdom. It's not about us, it is about him. That's where we're headed for the series. And so I really encourage you to listen to part 10 and part 14 if you haven't done so already. And my prayer for us as we engage in these topics over the coming weeks is that God would convince us in our hearts that there is joy, a hundredfold joy, available to us when we live according to his kingdom and not according to our own little kingdoms. So this morning, we're gonna talk about our time and our plans. And as we've already said, our time is precious. It is valuable. And because of that, I believe that this topic will probably be the most difficult of the six that we hit. Because every one of us values our time probably more than anything. And here's the deal. Jesus wants all of it. When it comes to living according to the way of God's kingdom, how we spend our time, that's where the rubber meets the road. So let's put some definitions on what we mean by time and plans. We obviously know what time is, but what is the definition of my time? Right, my time, what is the definition? Here's here's my definition of my time. My time is my presence at any moment in a particular place for a particular purpose at the exclusion of everything else. That's my time. We can only be in one place with our presence focused on one thing. I know technology is trying to change that, but it will always be true that we can only be truly present in one place, focusing on one thing. And so our plans are simply where we anticipate, where we are planning for our presence to be for a particular purpose at a particular time. And so here's what this means. At any given moment, by how you decide what to do with your time, you are saying yes to something and you're saying no to a bunch of things, right? Or when you think of our plans, same thing, you are planning at a future point to say yes to something and no to a bunch of other things. And so the question is, what does it look like to let Jesus be the king over what we say yes to and what we say no to? That's the question for the morning, and you better believe that this question impacts every single moment of our life. 
And so to answer this question, I want us to look to the Apostle Paul as an example. So if you have your Bible, go to Acts 16. I'm going to be reading for us uh, from verses 25 to 36. But let me give you a bit of context before we jump into the scripture. Paul is with his, is with his ministry buddy Silas, and they are in the Roman town of Philippi. So if you think the book of Philippians, that's a a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, but they're here in Philippi and they were doing some ministry and they did some things that the officials didn't like and the Jews didn't like. And so they got arrested unjustly and incarcerated. So they're thrown in jail. They didn't do anything wrong. They should not be in jail, but they are in jail. That's their current situation. And so with that, we're gonna jump into the text starting in verse 25. Says this about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, right? So Paul and Silas are in prison unjustly and and they're singing hymns and they're praying and the Holy Spirit shows up. I mean, big time shows up. Earthquake hits, doors miraculously open, the bonds on their hands and their feet miraculously fall off and, and they were free. I mean, they were in the middle of Tomlin's How Great Is Our God and everything shook and everything was opened. I mean, if that were you or me, and we're in that situation, we are praying, praying for God to be with us, praying for God to release us. We're singing songs and boom, everything opens all of a sudden. What would we do? We'd be like, the Holy Spirit just broke us out of jail. We are gone. We would run faster than we've ever run before because God just provided for us a miracle. Holy Spirit broke us out of jail. We weren't supposed to be here in anyway. Let's go, we're out of here, right? This is the obvious response. And this is the response that the jailer expected because he was ready to take his own life. He knew the punishment if his superiors found out that he let a bunch of prisoners escape. He knew it'd be a torturous death. And so he just assumed, better I do it because he expected everyone to run. Jump back into the text, verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. See, Paul made a choice after this earthquake. He said yes to something and he said no to something. As we said, most of us would have said yes to making a run for it and no to staying back in the jail. 
I actually think most of us would have even thought, uh, wouldn't have even thought of that jailer when the miracle happened. I think we would have interpreted this miracle as being for us, for our sake, that God was breaking us out of the jail. But Paul here makes the choice to say no to running and yes to staying. Now, why would Paul do this? I mean, the only thing that I can think of is that while Paul was in prison, he took notice of this jailer. And he had compassion on him and he loved him and he longed that this jailer would know Christ, know his true creator and and be reconciled to him and be saved. And so when this miracle came and the opportunity to run came, it was in love that Paul decided that at this particular time, he was gonna stay. See, the way of God's kingdom is to lay down your rights and your desires out of love of God and others. This was Paul's perspective. He wrote this in a letter he wrote to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul wrote this. He said, Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so therefore, verse 20, he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that Jesus Christ, he came to be one of us so he could die on the cross in our place to purchase us for God. Prior to Christ, we were dead in our sin. We had rejected God. And the end of this life, we were facing judgment. But Jesus chose to be with us, spend time with us, purchase us with his own blood to forgive us and give our life a purpose. And here is that purpose, that we would live for and represent Christ during the time that we have on this side of glory before he takes us home. That's why Jesus died for us, because he loves us, He wants to give us eternal life and he wants to set us free in this life to live for him until he takes us home. And the way that we live for Christ and the way that we represent him in this time right now is we give of ourselves as Christ gave of himself. And in this moment, it was Paul's desire that that this jailer would hear and respond to the gospel And that's what kept him in prison that night. It was love of God and others over self. He laid down his right to escape. He was unjustly in prison. He laid down his desire to be free so that the jailer could live. Paul was literally representing Christ by giving of his own life for the jailer. And we see that the jailer and his entire family end up giving their lives to Christ. Let's Read the rest of the text, verses 32 to 36. It says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. 
And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Right, what an incredible night. How encouraging it must have been to Paul to, to see this man and his entire family respond to the gospel and, and be baptized and change and to celebrate over a feast with them. That was a joyful, joyful night for Paul. And, and here's where we even see just, just how much Paul loved this jailer. Because Paul had another decision to make that night. See, just, just imagine the scenario. Paul and Silas are in prison. They have this earthquake episode. They're, they're with the jailer. The jailer wants to be saved, gets saved. Jailer takes them to his house. They're out of prison. They're in the jailer's house. They're feasting. They're having dinner. They're enjoying. They're laughing, baptizing. They're having a, a great time. It's a joyful night. They were not in prison. And you would have thought, okay, maybe Paul and Silas thought, all right, the night's over, everyone's going to bed. Hey, it's, it's, we're gonna leave now. Probably leave the town because we know there's some stuff going on. But what we read in our text is that the next morning, Paul and Silas were in jail. So there was a moment where Paul went to this jailer and said, you need to take me back to jail because if you don't, then you will not be alive in the morning. And so again, Paul makes another decision to say yes to something and no to something else. And what he chooses to do, again, is lay down his life again for this jailer. You gotta take me back to prison because I love you. Paul demonstrates to us what it looks like to allow Jesus to be king over our time. Because to Paul, it is his love of God and others that is the rubric through which he decides what he is going to give his time to. See that? Love of God and others is the rubric. It's, it's how the decision is made when it comes to his time. So what would it look like for us? when it comes to our time and in our plans to lay down our rights and our desires out of love of God and others. Because every single day, we encounter situations where we need to make a choice, just like Paul here. What are we gonna say yes to? And therefore, what are we saying no to? Do we see our time as something that is meant to serve us or is our time a tool that we have in this life to love and serve others? And so what I want us to help, help us to do to, today is to understand that every time we make a decision about what we're gonna do with our time, that it does impact our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Let me give you a really simple example, all right, from my life. And this is something I'm currently struggling with because I've got a, a newborn in the house. But... Every single morning, when I wake up, I have a choice to make. What am I gonna say yes to? And what am I gonna say no to? All right, this is what I hope to say yes to. Right, right, I hope to wake up before the rest of my family, usually about 5.30, grab a cup of coffee, spend some time in the word and in prayer, then go for a run outside, come in, have a good, healthy breakfast, spend time with my kids and my wife, jump in the shower and get to work. That, that's, that's what I hope 
my morning routine is. And when I do this morning routine, it is a way for me to love God and others. Because here's why. I'm a more patient person when I start my day with the Lord. I can see it. If I'm rushed in the morning and I don't spend time in, the, in prayer in the morning, I'm a little bit more on edge. I lead my family and I lead our church better when my heart has been fed by God's word. My heart needs that. I have a heart of flesh and it needs God's word every day, right? I am more alert and productive at work if I exercise and if I eat well. I love my wife and my kids better if I get out of bed and do those things so I'm there and present and alert when they wake up so I can love and I can serve them. So in the morning, when my alarm goes off at 5.30, I have a choice to make. I can say yes to loving myself, head back to sleep and wait for my kids to wake me up. Or I can say yes to loving God and others, get myself out of bed and start my day in such a way that is going to put me in a position to serve others well. See, that decision in the morning has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with how am I gonna love God and others today? And I want you to see how even in small choices like that, like our morning routine, it profoundly impacts how we love God and others. Uh, maybe a big work opportunity is coming up. And it's gonna mean a lot of travel for you. It's gonna mean a lot of late nights. It's gonna mean uh, being on call a lot while you're at home. And you have a choice to make. You can say yes to something and, and no to something. And in these moments, we have to really discern what are the desires of our heart that's driving our decision. Because if the desires of our heart are promotion, reputation, finances, self-esteem, none of which are bad within themselves, but if that's what's driving the decision and we're not considering how the decision will impact our family, our church, our relationship with God, then we're in danger of saying yes to something with our time that serves me best, but not maybe what serves God and others best. So I'm not saying we shouldn't take the opportunity, but I am asking if we're willing to lay down the opportunity in love of God and others, if that is what God is calling us to do. Is that option even on the table? Right, maybe it's a busy season of life, for you and you're tired and you're worn out. And most nights what you wanna do is just turn Netflix on, scroll through your newsfeed. Right, again, we're, we're making a choice. We're saying yes to something and no to other things. Now listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a show or engaging in social media. God has designed us to need rest and rejuvenation. If you feel the desire to veg, the desire to kind of turn the brain off, I just need to kind of sit for a little bit, that's fine, that's part of being human. Right? God commanded us to take a day off every week, right? We need rest, but we can rest in a way that serves God and others, and we can rest in a way that just serves us. Right? We, we need quality rest in order to have the energy and the, and the spirit to love others. But we're tempted to not just rest, but to escape many times through the screens in front of us. And that's not rest. Right? That's like fueling your body with donuts. It, it tastes good, but it doesn't do anything for you. And so we might be tempted to not rest at all, maybe. Commit to too much, never say no to anything, be spread out way too thin, 
right? Choosing to make time for rest and to rest in a healthy way is an act of love and also probably means laying down some of your rights and desires as well, right? I can keep going with different examples, but I think we get the point. Every day we make decisions about what we're going to do with our time and with our plans. And Jesus is calling us to this radical way of life in his kingdom where we consider God and others before ourselves in every decision we make with our time. Now you might be asking, Alan, are you saying that we can't do anything with our time for ourselves? Like, am I allowed to go on a vacation? Am I allowed to, you know, go play a round of golf on a Saturday? I mean, what, what are you saying? I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not trying to give us a set of rules on what you can or cannot do with our time. But what I'm trying to do is reset how those decisions are even made. Uh, this is where I think um, James does give us really good wisdom here. If you look at... James chapter four, verses 13 to 16. Look at what James says. He says this, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade it and make a profit. There's a plan right there. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's encouraging James. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Right, James is saying is when we make a plan and we don't consult the Lord, it's arrogant. Because we think we control our time. We think we have plenty of time. So here's what James is saying. Who is king over your time and your plans? When you're making your plans, does the will of God and his desires for you factor into that decision? Or when the apostle Paul was in jail and the, and the miracle came, Paul was going to run if the Lord willed it and he was going to stay if the Lord willed it. And so can we plan a vacation? Can we take that promotion at work? Can we go play a round of 18 on Saturday? Can we go skip church and tailgate on Saturday or at the Skins game? I don't know why you would wanna to go to a Skins game. Right? I'm not answering yes to no or, or no to any of those. I'm not trying to give us rules. But I am asking, does God get the last word on how we spend our time and what we plan to do? Is he king of our time and our plans? because our king is going to lead us in the way of the kingdom. And I don't think God has an issue with us enjoying some travel or vacation or anything like that. But you know what? He does care when we neglect gathering with the church. I mean, that's Hebrews 10 saying, don't neglect gathering with the church. Why? Because when you gather with the church, you are there to encourage one another. That's love of God or others. You're not coming to church just for yourself, but it's for, it's for them too. So yeah, God cares about that. Playing a round of 18 on Saturday, pulling a little overtime at work, that's not sin, but it is sin if we're not willing to lay it down to love our family or to do what God is calling us to do. And so, Grace Hill, here's the encouragement that I have for all of us this morning. God has called each of us to represent him with our lives, and that means laying down our lives as Christ laid down his for us.
That's what God has called us to do with our time and our plans during this life. And everything in us wants to fight that and convince us that living that way will rob us of our joy. What fun is that? I mean, if we were in that jail that night with Paul, everything in us would say, the chains are off, you're free, go live, run. Everything in us would fight the notion of staying to love another. So I have this challenge for us this morning. This week on a piece of paper in a journal, do an audit of your time, right? Every second. What did you say yes to? What did you say no to? What plans did you make this week? And for each of those entries, ask yourself, how am I representing Christ? How am I submitting these plans to God as king over my life? Am I willing to lay them down if he asked me to? Because here's the truth. Gotta believe this. Your heart was designed to flourish and experience deep contentment with that lifestyle. When it lives according to the way of God's kingdom, it's how God built it. Right, think about this. If Paul were to have run that day, he would have had an awesome story, right? We are sitting in jail. We shouldn't have been there. We prayed to God. He shook the place. We were out of there. Awesome story. Everyone would have been in all of that. But I promise you, Paul had infinitely more joy in watching that jailer bow his knee to Christ that night. And that took Paul laying down his rights and his desires as Jesus did for us. Our time is precious. It is limited and it is relentless. Keep it for yourself. Build yourself a legacy. Try and be remembered. It's a recipe for restlessness in this life. But lay it down in love of God and others. Well, the scriptures are telling us that's exactly where your joy is found. Let's pray together. God, I just have this sense in my heart this morning that the truths that we talked about from your word, as Paul writes in Corinthians, it's, it's one of those truths, God, that are, that are spiritually discerned. Our, our hearts have such a hard time understanding and wrapping our minds around it that we need your help to believe this. to believe that when we just lay, take all of our time, all of our plans, take our entire calendars, take everything that we wanna do in this life, all of our hopes and all of our dreams, to take all of that and to lay it before you and say, God, I want you to be king over all of it. I want you to, to show me what your will is for my life. And God, I'm willing to lay it all down for you, Lord. That's so counterintuitive to what? We believe in how we live our lives, God. So we ask for your help because God, we, we do believe by what you say in your word that there is joy in living according to your kingdom. God, it's how we're gonna live for all of eternity. So God, help us to be people 
who look to you as king, as Lord. God, you're worthy. You're worthy of having that place of leadership in our lives. You're not a slave driver. You're not a dictator. You are a loving father who purchased us by the blood of your son, who has forgiven us and lavished us with grace and mercy and is lovingly showing us the way to joy. And so God, we trust you and we wanna follow you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, amen.